0: Uh, Thank you, good afternoon. Um, To begin with, I'd like to say a few words of introduction about the documents on which this talk is based. Uh, As Wilma just said, back in 2004, the Marconi archives were given to the Bodleian Library by the Marconi Company. They include significant series of papers relating to the sinking of the Titanic, Um, These papers were gathered together by the Marconi company for use in the British inquiry into the sinking which was held in May and June 1912, only a month or so after the sinking of the Titanic. This rich load of data in the form of wireless logs, messages and associated documentation is of great significance in recording the sinking as it happened. In this talk, I'm going to focus on the evidential value of a particular component of the source material in the archive, the process for or radio operator's logs of wireless messages handled at ship and shore stations in the vicinity of the Titanic on the night of 14th and 15th of April 1912. Before doing so, I'll briefly set the scene with a little background about about wireless telegraphy and a few of the wireless operators involved that night. The use of wireless telegraphy for maritime communication remained relatively new in 1912, but many passenger liners and other ships were equipped with wireless equipment and one or two operators. In many instances, the operators and equipment were sp- supplied by the Marconi International Marine Communication Company under contract to the shipping lines. The Titanic, um, sorry, uh, the Titanic the vessels of the White Star Line were among, amongst these and the Titanic had very powerful state-of-the-art equipment with a range of 400 miles during the day and almost 2,000 miles at night. Um, that was better than any other ship in, in, uh, at that time with the exception of the Titanic's sister ship, the Olympic. Uh, on the photo here, which is the uh, photo of the, of the Titanic in Southampton, I think, you can see the... Um, uh, wireless aerial quite clearly um, above the ship. There were four wires stretched between two masts um, and it's not always apparent that it's there in many of the other other, other photos of the so 5 of the Titanic. Um, I do wonder whether it's actually been touched up in this photo to make it more, more clear. Mm. Um, a primary purpose of wireless on board ships such as the Titanic was to send and receive messages passengers' messages, which were charged by the word, and the income came to the Marconi company. The operators were also contracted to send navigational messages on behalf of the ship's captain without charge, up to a certain limit. The Titanic had two operators, Harold Bride and Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips, the more experienced of the two, was aged 25 and had been working as an operator for six years. Bride, his junior, aged 21, had only around six months experience. They took shifts in order to provide a continuous watch on the wireless service, um, but this was not true of many other ships. The Carpathia, for example, had just one operator, Harold Cotton, who worked only during the day, switching off equipment overnight. The documents themselves also require a short introduction. The main Titanic sources in the Marconi archives are the process verbaux of many ships and shore stations involved. These are effectively logbooks kept by the operators, recording messages sent, received, and sometimes also useful information overheard passing between other ships. We have the PVs, as they're usually known, for most of the relevant ships, though not, of course, for the Titanic itself. That of the Carpathia is unfortunately incomplete, at the point of receiving the first distress call, the PV ends with a later note, apparently too busy to keep PV going. The other main format of the documents comprises individual messages which give the full text to the message, written out by the operator on a standard form to be passed on to the intended recipient, either a passenger or the captain in most instances. Many of these survive, although by no means a complete record, Not all companies submitted them them for the inquiry and not all messages would have been written out in this manner. I'm not going to talk very much about the sort of individual messages uh, or message forms in this talk, but there are a few examples in the exhibition case outside if you want to have a look at them. So turning back to the PVs in more detail, It's possible to use those present in the collection to put together a detailed picture of what was happening in the North Atlantic on the night the Titanic sank. And that's what I'm hoping to show you today. We also get some indications of some of the problems with communication that occurred, which might have affected the speed of the rescue effort. This is the PV of the Mount Temple, a Canadian Pacific Lines cargo ship It was among the first to pick up distress messages from the Titanic, as we can see here. There's a few things to explain about the format of the records. Wireless operators used standard codes in place of words and phrases, including the emergency distress code. In this example, the Mount Temple records the use of CQD, the Marconi, Marconi company's distress code, as used before the introduction of the internationally determined SOS core. SOS was introduced in 1908, but the Titanic operators as, sent out both CQD and SOS, as they were uncertain how familiar SOS would be to their colleagues, and more confident that, that the CQT call would be one more widely known even beyond Marconi operators. Bride actually would get later recalled joking with Phillips about using it. Um, and he said to Phillips, use SOS, it's the new call, and it might be your last chance to use it. Um, unfortunately, that proved to be the case for Phillips, who didn't survive uh, the sinking. Three-letter codes were also used to identify ships. The code for t- Titanic, M-G-Y, is used here, along with that for the Carpathia, M-P-A. The times given here, uh, in this instance, are New York time. The Titanic struck an iceberg at 11.40 p.m. It's using its ship's time, which is about 10, 10 o'clock New York time. It depended on where you were on the Atlantic, what ship, what time you would use. Uh, and in the case of the uh, Mount Temple here, I think it was sufficiently close to the uh, American coast to still be using the, the New York time zone. 20 minutes after Striking the iceberg, Captain Smith entered the wireless room and instructed the operators to send out the distress call. I've, because it's not always easy to read the uh, uh, original PVS, I've put transcripts of some of the key key uh, phrases, um, key entries on the side here. Um, and you can see that it says the Titanic calling CQD, it says require assistance, and gives position. Um, it says that. Um, the Titanic cannot hear the, the, the Mount Temple responding uh, but the Mount Temple still advises his captain and notes at that time that nobody else answers. At this time... Oh sorry. Uh, the Mount Temple's record shows that Carpathia responding to the Titanic's distress call at quite an s- early stage. I think it's 10.35 in that case. Um, Harold Cotton, the wireless operator on the board Carpathia, stated at the inquiry that he'd been just about to turn off the equipment and go to bed when he heard the Titanic's distress call, but as soon as he heard it, he reported it immediately to the bridge. The ship's course was changed, and he confirmed to the Titanic that the Carpathia was coming to her assistance. The Carpathia was about 58 miles away from the Titanic's position at that time, as you can see on the PV, uh, the Mount Temple was actually about 50 miles off. One significant aspect is that the Mount Temple, although only some 50 miles away from the Titanic, was unable to send a response that the Titanic could hear because of the shorter range of the, market, of the Mount Temple's less powerful transmitting equipment. The captain still ordered the ship to be reversed to go to the Titanic's aid. The Mount Temple didn't take an ax- Active part in the rescue, partly because of this, in inability to communicate, but it overheard messages from her from both the Titanic and the Olympic in the course of the night, and from these some of the particular moments of the disaster can be gleaned. You can see here it's saying the uh, captain says, "Get your boats ready, going down fast at the head." Um, then we are putting women off in boats at 11:35. And the 1141 Titanic says CQD and the engine room is flooded by that stage. Another vessel in the vicinity of the Titanic was a German ship, the Frankfurt. It may have been the first ship from which the Titanic could hear a response. You can see here he's at 1040 saying Titanic is giving position. Please tell your captain to come. To our help, we are on ice. This record is partly in German, and the language difference may be a factor in the problems that the Titanic appeared to have with the Frankfurt, as it seems that the Frankfurt failed to understand the the urgency of the situation and take action. This is illustrated in another PV of of another German steamer, the Ipiranga. At 10.46, the Titanic explained that we have collision with an iceberg sinking. Please tell your captain to come. Almost 40 minutes later, at 11.26, I think it is, uh, Frankfurt replies saying, our captain will go for your course. But in spite of this, half an hour later, at 11.58 PM, there's another exchange in which the Titanic eventually said, stand by, stand by, stand by, go away. Harold Bride later testified that at this stage, the Frankfurt had again asked, what is the matter with you? Over an hour after this had first been explained, Phillips was furious at the delay and the apparent stupidity of the Frankfurt operator and lost his temper to completely and told the Frankfurt in no uncertain terms to keep out. One problem, sort of additional problem that might have been affecting all this was that the Frankfurt signals were interfering with those of the Carpathia and since the latter was being more coherent, the Titanic operator took a decision to focus on communication with that ship as the most likely prospect for rescue. The phrases used, uh, stand by and go away, was standard use for wireless communication at the time, so it shouldn't, it shouldn't be seen as particularly offensive, or might, it might, might seem that way today. The Olympic, uh, Titanic's Shister ship, some 500 miles away, overheard some of the initial exchanges with its powerful equipment. Um, before making contact itself. Here it can be seen that there's that much interference or jamming prevented clear communication. You can see the entry here, uh, the Titanic is signaling to some ship and saying something about striking an iceberg. At that stage, the Olympic wasn't sure if it was the Titanic who had struck an iceberg, but he was interfered with my many X's and that sort of signal for jamming uh, and many stations working at the same time. Later on though, better communication seems to be established and the Olympic shows it's effort to help despite the distance involved. Um, you can see here it's saying, to send the Olympic sending a message to the Titanic saying, lighting up all possible boilers as fast as it can. Distress calls were sent out continuously by the Titanic until the power gave out shortly before the ship founded at 12.30 a.m. New York time. The PV of the steam of the Virginian recorded the last signals to be heard. And here it says the Titanic's calling CQD, CQ, unable to make out his signal. And he says it ended very abruptly as if power suddenly switched off, his spark rather blurred and ragged. This probably marked the loss of power to the Titanic's wireless room. And the two operators, Phillips and Bride, then left the wireless room and went up on deck to see if any lifeboats remained. Both were washed ashore from the deck by a large wave and the ship sank a few minutes later. Bride managed to drag himself aboard an upturned lifeboat and fortunately survived. Per Phillips, in fact, did likewise, but was not so lucky and died for exposure on the upturned lifeboat before the Carpathia arrived at daybreak to pick up passengers from the lifeboats. Having rescued the survivors, the Carpathia at that stage, the only ship at the scene needed to communicate the news of the disaster to other ships and to shore. The first to be contact- contacted were the other ships which were nearing the scene. The protest Verbo of the Virginian, which was an American cargo ship, and the Baltic, a White Star liner, record these exchanges. And again, looking at the PV of the Virginian on the next page. Um, the The Carpathia says, tell your skipper we are leaving here with all on board, about everything, 800 passengers, everything okay, please turn to your northern course. News of the sinking gradually filtered back to the shore where in the absence of official communication, rumors were rife. The news reaching the North American shore was patchy and in some instances was confused or completely inaccurate. This was due to two principal factors, Firstly, the, limiting range of the limited range of the Carpathia's equipment, which meant that it was unable to communicate directly with the shore stations until it was much closer to the coast. And it had to rely on relaying messages via other ships. This led to delays in, to delays in accurate communication of the true state of affairs. Secondly, there was once again a problem with jamming. Only one wireless conversation could be go on using the same wavelength within a certain range and closer ships sounded louder than those further away. The Carpathia tried to communicate with the distant Olympic to take advantage of its vastly superior range on a par with the Titanic's, but they were unable to hear one another over other conversations. The Californian and the Burma prevent, presented a particular problem in this regard Two of the ships were quite close to the Titanic. And its currents was mentioned by several other operators. And one example I've got here is from the Baltic, um, another white star liner in this case. And you can see here, it says it's, it's unable to work I know, owing to persistent jamming by MWL, which was the Californian who was talking all the time. And it even went to the extent of saying, making, commenting that the, uh, Californians making such remarks as, do you see a four-masted salmon pink smokestack steamer somewhere around, which at the dead of night might have been some, somewhat uh, <laughs> peculiar. Um, and then he continues to comment on the jamming and carrying on of long, irrelevant conversations by the Burma. Back on the on Carpathia itself, the Captain Rostron's instructions to the operators were to deal with official reports send lists of survivors, and transmit messages from survivors as a priority. Only then was anything incoming to be handled. Harold Cotton, the Carpathia operator, applied himself to this task, and became exhausted from working almost continuously for many hours, only being relieved for short periods by Harold Bride, the surviving operator from the Titanic. Bride had been injured during his ordeal in the water before being rescued, and was actually carried into the Carpathia's wireless room as he had temporarily lost the use of his legs. Between them, they managed to gradually send the names of the survivors and start sending them personal messages from the survivors, and a task that, that was not completed even when the Carpathia docked in New York four days later on the evening of the 18th of April. Throughout this time, they were bombarded with messages from the shore, asking for news of friends or of relatives and for de- details of the disaster. There was such frustration at the fact that the Carpathia consistently refused to receive messages such as these. As these and, um, sorry, there was much con- frustration at the fact that the Carpathia consistently refused to receive messages such as these and at the lack of the news re- reaching the shore. The operator at Skisconset station, uh, a coastal station on the island of Nantucket on the American coast. He records his uh, frustration in in his station's process verbal. Um, He talks here about uh, over 110 messages being on hand and yet we have been unable to raise the Carpathia. Uh, since 9.50 and 2.09 a.m., when, after attracting his attention, he disappears, ignores our calls and offers them messages, urgent messages, etc. Jamming is quite bad, but uh, traffic can be worked off th- through it, especially when the good signals are offered to the Carpathia. Looks like a case of laziness, don't care, or something of that sort. The cisc up op- operator's unforgiving comments do have to be taken into, in context, as he seemed to have... Pretty short shrift for others besides, his, besides the Carpathia operator, as exemplified by another comment on US Navy operators, in which he says uh, US Navy is a blot on the map, detrimental to business interests and a menace to humanity. So um, he seemed to have a, a bit of a short fuse when it came to sending his messages. However, the exhaustion of the Carpathia operators was recognized by other colleagues, such as that on the Minnewaska. And he says, uh, Carpathia commences the list of names without any preamble. And I failed to fail to make him understand that Sable Island would probably be unable to read me by the time he finished. It was difficult to read him as his signals were very loud and broken. The operator was obviously tired out and his sending very erratic. Eventually I made him stop and called Sable Island. To sort of draw to a conclusion, um, wireless obviously played a crucial part in the Titanic disaster and differentiated it from previous sinkings. It should be noted that without wireless, there may well have been no survivors at all. Um, No other ships would have known of the situation until too late. But in spite of this, there were clear limitations in the technology, procedures, and the operators themselves. And uh, in the inquiries inquiries that followed, um, there some criticism, particularly from in the American inquiry, uh, of the operators who and it was felt that those on when on the Carpathia they've been looking to sell their stories later on um, rather than transmitting messages. But as I, that is not my view, because as you can see, they were desperately trying to do what they were required to do uh, in very, very difficult circumstances. Uh, the Titanic inquiry highlighted these problems and did lead to improvements. There was a convention for the safety of of life at sea, uh, which uh, was agreed in 1914 between several governments. And this included a section on wireless which recommended that uh, a continuous watch should be kept and suggested an automated calling system to alert operators to distress signals, even when they were away from their post. Uh, this was, uh, was instigated eventually, but because of the World War I following on fairly closely from this, it didn't really get going until the 1920s. But in addition to this, an ice patrol was instituted. Um, the ship constantly patrolled the North Atlantic and used wireless to warn ships of, of ice in, the, in certain areas. And this was so successful that since its foundation, no ship has colli- ever collided with an iceberg in the North Atlantic. So that's all I have to say today. Um, I, you may have seen the display in the proscolium, but if not, I do urge you to have a look at it. If you want to know more about the process verbo, then there's full transcripts of several of the key ones in the book uh, um, about, the, about the disaster being published by the library. Um, so otherwise, thank you very much. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad to take them. Um.